This has got to be one of Luke's finest stories. I mean, I think it's tied for first in the resurrection stories next to John's story of the Jesus cooking breakfast. But in Luke's gospel, this has got to be one of the greatest. Remember, Luke gave you the prodigal son. That, that, was, that, was, that was him. He gave you the whole birth narrative, gave you Simeon in the temple, gave you the two thieves on the cross. Those are some real good stories. But this story about the road to Emmaus is uh, maybe even better than all of them. It's filled with suspense and intrigue and mystery and humor, drama. It's all there. Hey, did you not find yourself, as the story is read, starting to smile at some point when they're walking along the road and he comes up behind them? That's kind of when you start to smile. I caught myself doing that again this week, and then it occurred to me that it was really a smile of condescension. I mean, I know that sounds harsh, but it was because I knew something that they didn't know, see? And so I could look at them and think, well, you know, I've got an inside track. Y'all don't get it yet, but you'll get it pretty soon. And then it occurred to me that this road uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus and then back to Jerusalem again is not just their journey, it is ours. It occurred to me even more that I am actually on that road. If I counted right, there is somewhere in this story, somewhere between eight and nine references to being on the road. So clearly in Luke's mind, this is part of the same journey that we were talking about before. And I thought this whole time that this thing ended in Emmaus, but it actually doesn't. It ends back in Jerusalem. So if you track the movement to the story, I'm going to come up this aisle, if that's okay with you. I'm coming anyway. I'm just warning you. The, move, the story has like three movements to it. It starts in Jerusalem, which for me today, my little world, is going to be the atrium. And it, they leave Jerusalem and they start heading down the path, the road that goes to Emmaus. And then it is in Emmaus that they recognize Jesus inside the home. And when they recognize him, they turn right around and go back to Jerusalem. That's how the story ends. So if I've gotten the story right, it's got like three movements to it. The first one starts with disappointment. There's a profound disappointment, and it's followed by this big awakening, this epiphany, this aha moment when their eyes are open, and then it ends in a reunion with the other disciples in the city of Jerusalem. Three movements then. Starts kind of low in disappointment. There's this high where they recognize Jesus, and then it's this even higher where they're united with Jesus. And so when the service is over today, we're going to go out in baptism. That threshold where someone joins or becomes part of the body of Christ. Sometimes people have said, why didn't you move the baptism in the sanctuary? Because we can see it then. And we don't have to look on the screen. Well, because it's not about us. It's about the meaning of it. You know, historically, baptism has been this threshold in between the world and the church. And when you're baptized, it's like you're crossing a threshold and coming into the body of Christ. And so we put it outside the door at the threshold to say when you're baptized, then you come from there into the body. So we'll go out in a moment of baptism and you'll get to hear great stories. Underneath these three movements, this disappointment, this awakening, and this reunion, there is this subplot 
that is gradually starting to dawn on you. Let me track it. It's this plot of being able to see Jesus. See, it starts out in verse 16, and it says that while they were walking, he come up behind them, and they did not recognize him. And then it says later on, uh, when they were talking on the road, one of the disciples said, our colleagues, our friends, they ran to the tomb, verse 24, and, it's, and, they, and they say they found the tomb was empty, but him they did not see. There's that phrase again. And then in verse 31, at the end of this story, it's kind of the climax, and it says suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So there's this subplot underneath all these other movements. It's this, the disciples are learning to see. Apparently, seeing and recognizing are two different things. Guys, you know this. Your wives have told you this. You see things you don't recognize. So apparently, when you look at something... And the eyes notice it, they don't recognize it unless you're able to connect it with something that you know from the past. See, recognition means you've seen it or something like it before. So when you're looking at it, you go back and go, oh, that's what it is. So apparently, you can see stuff and not recognize it. So I'm starting to wonder then, is it possible to recognize what you cannot see? In the Christian faith, there is a deep belief that we can learn to apprehend God with senses other than our eyes. Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. As if your heart had eyes. But what he really means is, I pray that you will learn to see with your heart, not just with your eyes. Because you can only go so far in your faith if you have to see with your eyes everything you believe in, but if you can learn to recognize what you cannot see with your eyes, your faith will go to another level. The journey starts in Jerusalem. Apparently, there's a circle of believers that are meeting in someone's house, maybe two or three homes. There's enough of them. What it says at the end of the story is that the disciples have gathered in Jerusalem along with some of their friends. But this is Easter Sunday, and these two disciples who are walking down the road to Emmaus do not know the whole story. Somehow they've decided to leave the community of disciples. See, the disciples are all still together, but they've decided that the grief is overwhelming and they're going to get back home. And so they're on the road going into Emmaus when suddenly Jesus comes up behind them and says, what are these words 
that you're throwing back and forth with one another. Literally, that's a good translation. What are these things that you're saying back and forth, these words that you're using as you walk along the way? And one of them turns and looks at Jesus with a really sad face and says, are you the only one in the whole city who does not know the things that has happened? Jesus says, what things? He's not playing cat and mouse with them. He's not saying, I'm going to bait you because in a moment I'm going to surprise you. What he's literally doing is he's throwing open the door for you to interpret what you just read, what you just saw. Are you the only one that doesn't know what's happened? I mean, it's pretty self-evident. We all know what's happened. You're the only one that don't get it. He says, what things? It's his invitation for you to start talking about the things that you saw. And what you should know is that every detail that they give him is a fact. They're not making any of this up. All of it's true. They say there was this prophet named Jesus of Nazareth. He was mighty indeed and in, and in words and he was great before God and all the people. And then our, our leaders took him and then they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. And then to make it worse, the women, they run to the tomb and they say that some angels say he's gone. And so our friends went and looked in the tomb and sure enough, there's no body in the tomb. But him we did not see. All of that is true. And this is when Jesus like swings open the door <laughs> and he says, oh man, you guys can't believe what the prophet said, can you? You see, when you're in the middle of a disappointing situation, the most crucial thing is how you interpret that. And 100% of the time, I guarantee you, you will think that you're interpreting it right. You will relay the facts, only the facts. But what you don't realize, as C.S. Lewis said in his sermon, Weight of Glory, it's like there's a door and you cannot get on the other side of the door. If you could get on the other side of the door, you could see an entirely different world of explanations, but you can't see it. And so you stand on your side of the door and you keep knocking for an explanation and the only thing you're left with are the facts that you have to deal with. Some of you are here this morning in this moment of desperation. And so for you, Easter seems a little shallow or a little thin. Some of you wanted the job and didn't get it. You wanted to pass and you did not. The trial went the other way. The person abandoned you. You prayed for a healing and they died. There was a sudden, unthinkable tragedy in the middle of the night and you were called and in a moment your world changed and you're asked to come into Easter and temporarily suspend your disbelief and you can hardly do it. You can't get there any faster than you can get there. Just remember, there is another side of the door. There is another explanation. All of your facts can be true. Everything you're saying is right, but you don't know everything. 
C.S. Lewis finishes and says, the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumors that this will not always be true. God willing, there will come a day when we shall get in. It's that moment where the door is swung open. Is this not the place in the story where some of you smile, where Jesus come up behind them and starts talking to them and they don't realize it's him? See, you smile because you realize it's him. See, you're living in verse 31. They're still stuck in verse 16. And you can't get there any faster than you can get there. Sometimes the only thing you can do is remember there is a verse 31. Even though there is not an explanation that I'll accept and one that I'll agree with, there is still an explanation. There are still things that I do not know. There is still another side of the door. There's still a verse 31, and that's as far as you can get today. All I'm asking you to do right now is just to stop and remember that. Somebody knows something that you don't know. Somebody has information, either in this world or out of it, that you don't have yet, and they're living in verse 31. you got to stay where you're at, and someday it will be real for you. Jesus then proceeds to go through all of the Scriptures and open the Scriptures and explain to them how all of these things had to happen. This is the other side of the door, isn't it? All of the stuff works. It, it makes sense if you come at it from another angle. Not from your angle, but from another angle. If you will listen to him, he will explain the Scriptures. And the Scriptures will bring it together. There, there is this moment, this awkward moment at the uh, end of their journey where they reach Emmaus and it's almost dark and the disciples are getting ready to go home and Jesus pretends that he's going to keep on going. I've asked myself a hundred times, what would have happened if he'd have kept on going? Because see, it was when he was inside that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So there is this really fragile moment at the end of that road to Emmaus where they're still trying to process and they haven't figured it out yet. He's pretending like he's going to keep going and the disciples stop him and they beg him to stay. They said, stay with us for the night for it's getting late. And it's, Jesus decides to stay with them. So he goes inside the house and he picks up the bread that's on the table and he blesses it and then he breaks it and then as he starts to give it to them, suddenly their eyes are open and they recognize him. Wait, wait a second. This is an odd thing, isn't it? How do they recognize him? Did they recognize him because his appearance changed? Probably not. Mary thought he was the gardener. So apparently when he came back from the dead, there was enough of a change in his appearance that we were not to apprehend him in that way. No, no, maybe they recognized him not by the appearance of his face, but by his actions. 
It's not what he looks like. It's what he's doing that's ringing a bell for us. And the lights start to come on. And the strangest thing happened. The moment they recognized him, he disappeared. Now, I cannot figure this out. Because this whole journey was about you learning to recognize Jesus in the midst of your disappointment. And right the second you recognize him, he disappears. Theory. All throughout the resurrection appearances, Jesus is, is coming and going. And the second you see him, he's gone. I wonder if he's trying to teach us another way to see him. I wonder if he's trying to say, just because you don't see me, it doesn't mean I'm not there. I can be present even when it feels like I'm not. Remember that. Because the moment their eyes are opened, undoubtedly, they started going back to the journey. That's exactly what they did. One of them said, wait a second. Did not our hearts burn within us? When? When he opened our eyes? No, no. Didn't our hearts burn within us? While he talked with us along the way. And while he interpreted the scriptures, let me translate that, long before, long before we started to see him, we were starting to recognize him. He was making sense of stuff. He was using the scripture to put stuff together. So even though I couldn't see him, I recognized him. He was in the fellowship of believers that we left. In Jerusalem, he was in the scriptures as it was being opened to us. He was in the breaking of the bread. He was in the hospitality of the disciples at the door. Maybe there were moments all the way through this journey when it seemed like he was absent, but Jesus was present all along. Some of the disciples were thinking, man, I hope we didn't say anything Weird about God way back here when we started walking because we were walking with him and we didn't even know it was him. Did you say something? You hear it? He is there the entire time. Uh, yeah, it was this time last year when we were um, running back and forth to Fort Wayne. We got word in the middle of the morning actually that one of our own members, Sharon Stevenson, was suddenly killed in a traffic accident on Highway 15. If you don't know this, then maybe you haven't been here long enough. It was a tragic blow, not just for our congregation, but especially for Phil and that extended family. I remember getting the call early when it was still dark, getting in the car, driving up to Fort Wayne. Didn't have to preach that day, I think now by providence. And as I was driving up the way, I was starting to rehearse the only facts that I knew, the ones that I got on the phone. Now, I want to remind you every fact that I was praying, and I was praying out loud to an empty car, but there was someone that, 
All of those facts were accurate. Everything that I heard was true. I was retelling the story exactly as I heard it. And as I came up to exit, what is it, uh, 203 or something like that, or uh, that one there by Lutheran Hospital, I was almost to the exit, and it was just starting to get light. And I was saying something to the Lord, in fact, of how appropriate is this? Palm Sunday morning and everything is pitch black. That's exactly what it looks like for them right now. In fact, for my whole church, when they hear the news in just a short while, what are we going to do with this? And as I pulled off to the exit, I looked over to the right of the car, and the sun was just starting to rise over the top of the hospital. I remember thinking and maybe even saying out loud, Look at that. The sun is just coming up. It's just before dawn. And when I said it, it's like the words rang a bell. If you stay in the scriptures, they won't make you bulletproof from grief, but they will lie on the floor close to you. So when God goes to bring you back together again. There's something there to hold on to. As I said the phrase, look at that. It's just before dawn. That phrase from John chapter 20 rang in my ears. And I said it aloud. I said it was early in the morning, just before dawn, when the women got up and they went to the tomb and they found it empty. And I thought to myself, Everything I said about the accident was true, but there's a whole nother reality that I've been blind to. There's another side of the door. There is a resurrection in a life. There is a being seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Just like all of those verses mean, they started to come together. Can I ask you this morning, those of you that are trapped in some kind of disappointment, have you ever, have you ever heard him speak to you along the way? Has he ever opened the scriptures to you when you were trapped? Has he called to your memory verses that you knew, but they didn't make sense at the moment? They were meaningless, and, and you can only say if you're still there at this point, I don't think I've seen him yet. Can I say you don't know? You don't know. Because Jesus can be present even when you think he is not. He can appear in the reading of the Scripture as He did just a few moments ago. He can show up in the body of believers. See, as long as you keep waiting to see Him with your eyes, you're stuck at a certain point. But if you can once learn to recognize what you cannot see, it's a new reality for you. My prayer for our church this morning is that we will begin to slip into that other reality. For there is more happening on any moment than we know. Things are not as they seem. The moment their eyes are opened and they recognize Him, He disappears. What do they do? They have a service? No. They start to celebrate. No. 
The next verse says, within the hour, they were on their way back down the road they came from, back to Jerusalem. This is an odd, 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 odd part of the story. Up to this point, the disciples have been following Jesus wherever he went. This is the first time in the Gospels where Jesus actually follows them. There's been a disaster, and they can't stick around, so they leave. And somewhere at the end of the journey, it dawns on them, my goodness, he came out after us. He came looking for us. Oh, this is a story that only Luke tells. I'm so glad he did his research, aren't you? I'm glad he found this little story because this would be lost to you if you didn't have this story. If you're here this morning you're thinking there is no explanation for what's happening to me, remember, you don't have to go following Christ. There are times when Christ will start following you. He'll follow you with people and with words and with texts and with events and with rituals that seem foreign and maybe cold and shallow to you. But my prayer for you is someday you'll look back and say, my goodness, all those places along the way, he was there and I didn't know it. So we're going to go out this morning uh, in a baptismal. As I said in that great threshold in between the world and the church. There's this, there's this last scene in, in Luke 24, verse 36, when the disciples come running back to Jerusalem where the others have gathered in a circle. Listen to it. They're already saying amongst themselves, the Lord has risen and He has appeared to Peter. The one that, you know, that guy. The one who denied him, that he's appeared to Peter. In the midst of that, they start to tell their story. And verse 36 says, Jesus himself suddenly appeared to them and said, Peace be still. Sometimes that's all you got to hear. If you're tired, if you're disappointed, if this day seems hard for you, if it seems like a suspended disbelief, you're in the right place. You're where you're supposed to be. You're with the body of believers. You don't have to have everything figured out yet. You can only come at your own speed. You just have to know this. There are people who know something that you don't know. And that smile on their face tells me that they're in verse 31. All we're asking you to do is when that moment appears to you, let him in. Sit down with Christ and listen to him. Give him a hearing. And then as soon as you can, come back to the body of believers. Sometimes all you got to hear in the midterm is peace be with you. Would you do me a favor?